Good morning. I just want to try to figure out where the elders are in the congregation. I see Eric. Okay, Eric? Okay. There's Wes. Where are you, Tim? All right. I wanted to identify where they were because I want to make eye contact with them because this message is primarily directed to those men and myself as well as an elder of this blessed church. Yeah, where are you sitting, Wes? I want to see. Oh, perfect. Tim, you could have made it easy and just sat right there with them. Now I have to do this. Last week, we, um, in light of this passage, I talked to you, so if you weren't here, I would encourage you to just go back online and listen to that message. I, I just spoke to you about what elders are, specifically, biblically speaking. You know, are they just older people or more advanced in age? And that is how the word can be used, but as it's being used in First Peter and generally how it's used in the scriptures, in the New Testament especially, to refer to... Uh, leadership of the church, and we talked about the fact that there are multiple terms used for the leadership of the church, elder, overseer, shepherd, pastor, how it's commonly um, interpreted or translated in your scriptures, which is just the the, uh, Latin word for shepherd, pastor. So it's the same person or persons, elder, overseer, shepherd, pastor, Also, there is to be a plurality, that's the pattern, a plurality of leadership in the local church, so not one guy, one pastor leading the flock of God, but collectively, together with another group of qualified men, biblically qualified and called by God to that uh, office, he's overseeing, shepherding the flock of God, uh, the local church. And so then we also talked about the church's responsibility. The scriptures call the church to submit to or come under that leadership as it leads you biblically. Okay, so um, it's, I'm going to, again, be addressing the elders, but it's important for all of you to hear the sermon uh, for several reasons. One, it'll help you understand what you should be looking for in church leadership. We... In the future, we'll probably add additional elders. We don't have a quota, so the Bible doesn't say you've got to have six, you've got to have five. It does say they need to be qualified men, they need to be called to the Lord. And so we have a process here, and as those men become aware to us and they have a desire and we take them through the leadership program to make sure they're right, the right fit and they truly are qualified, then the church comes along and affirms that, or they tell us, no, you've got the wrong guy. And so you need to understand what you should be looking for and what those leaders should look like. And certainly the qualifications that are found in 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7 and Titus 1, 5 through 9 would be a good area to start. But even this morning, we'll see some other areas that can help you understand what should characterize them, what they should and shouldn't look like. Beyond that, this text specifically will help you understand the pitfalls for an elder, areas where he can stumble. And so hopefully that will um, inform your prayer life. I hope you're praying for us because, boy, we need it. We need it as leaders of the church. Additionally, if you, for some reason, by God's providence, are taken away from this church, 
uh, you have to move and you have to find another church, I would want you to know what to look for. Sadly, many times what people look for is, are things that really aren't super important. Like, you know, what's the campus like? Uh, how nice is the facility? Does their music rock, you know, or, or is their music what I totally prefer? And I'm not saying those things aren't something to consider, but they certainly aren't the most important thing. I, I would argue two things. One, what do they teach? What do they believe? Right? That is key. So the first thing you should be asking is, what do you guys, what do you believe? What do you believe the Bible says? And then their leadership. Their leadership. What kind of leadership do they have? These are the folks that are going to be directing and guiding the church and that you're going to be coming under. You should know that. It could be a beautiful facility and have poor leadership, and you will not like it there. Trust me. So, this message is for all, but it is primarily directed at the elders. A few questions came up as well after I did the sermon last time. Some people asked about deacons. I'm not going to do a message right now on deacons, but let me say this, because they are another office that we find in the scriptures, elders and deacons, overseers and deacons. Our discipleship material that we encourage everyone to go through, and, and Eric Davis runs our discipleship program, we instruct you concerning the offices of the church. And in our discipleship material, it says, in addition to the office of elder, there is the office of deacon. The word deacon means one who serves. That's what it means. Deacons are appointed by the elders to assist them by handling various tasks and practical matters in the church so that the elders can devote themselves more fully to shepherding the congregation. And so you see that model in Acts 6, 1 through 6. In other words, that they can devote themselves more fully to prayer and to the word and to the care of the people in those categories. And so the deacons come along and assist them in other matters. Deacons also must be qualified individuals, and we see that in 1 Timothy 3, 8 through 13. And basically, it's the same qualifications except one, in other words, same qualifications as an elder except one, and that being able to teach, able to teach or having a teaching role in the church and being apt to teach in that regard. So we don't have any deacons. We don't have any. Our uh, constitution says that we may have deacons and establish a deacon board and that the number of deacons serving at any time will be determined by the board of elders in response to the needs of the church's congregation or the church congregation and the church's ministry. So why don't we have any? Well, we, the church must have elders. It has to have elders. That's a necessary requirement. Deacons are brought on to assist the elders in other matters. So as an example, we have a benevolence fund. And in our constitution, we have it set up so that when we have deacons, they will administer the benevolence fund for this local body. In absence of a deacon board, the elders do it. But that is something where we would like to give that to the deacons to do. So we are presently, you know, thinking through, do we have potential uh, men in the church that could be deacons and working through that? But same thing, we put them through a training process. They have to be affirmed by the church. Uh, but they are not the same as elders. But there is an office of the church, and they're there, again, to serve the body and help the elders in their work so that they might have more time to do the shepherding matters uh, that are heavy upon the elders often okay, and require a lot of their time. You have any more questions about that? Of course, you can ask Thomas. 
or me, or any of the elders, for that matter. So we want you to be informed, and we don't want you to wonder about things. So if you have questions, just ask. We'd love to, to show you what the Word of God says concerning these things. So, elders, and as the rest of you listen, elders, what does proper care of the flock of God look like? What does it look like? What does proper care of the flock of God look like? We are in 1 Peter chapter 5, and we'll be looking at verses 1 through 4. If you're not already there, uh, please turn in your copy of God's Word to that section. If you're using one of those blue Bibles located underneath the seat around you, they're there for you. If you need one, you can turn to page 1016. That'll bring you to this text. The Apostle Peter writes the following to these churches in northern Asia Minor. But here he speaks specifically to the elders among those churches. So, I exhort the elders among you. Exhort. I urge is another way to say that. Or I appeal to you. I urge. I appeal to you. I exhort you. I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Here comes the exhortations. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. NIV says, translates it this way, under your care. So the elders are, are responsible. In other words, those that you have been given the task of shepherding there in your local church. It's not an elder shepherding other folks in another church. Those under their care there in that local church. Each elder has folks under their care in that local body. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, under your care, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. The text, a few things we got to cover up front before we get to the exhortations. The text begins with a conjunction that could be translated so, as it is in the ESV, or therefore, as it is in the New American Standard Bible. That's how this section starts, so or therefore. There's a conjunction. Which means what Peter says here in this final section of the letter somehow relates to what has already been said in the letter. So, therefore, there's a connection back somehow. The immediate context, what, what was just said in chapter 4, verses 12 through 19, is dealing with the suffering saints and providing consolations to them, comforts for the afflicted is what I titled that section of 1 Peter. So the, the subject matter there, as it is in the majority of the letter, is the issue of suffering or suffering for the sake of following Christ or suffering for righteousness or suffering as a Christian. Okay? The, as one uh, commentator points out, the precise connection, though, is not certain. In other words, we cannot be certain of, of why Peter says so or therefore. What exactly is he thinking back to as he begins to now exhort the elders? In fact, another Bible commentator points out that the NIV, the NIV Bible, 
uh, does not even reflect the conjunction in its translation. It's there, but it doesn't include it in its translation. If you read the NIV, it just says, to the elders among you. Not so, not therefore. And that implies, all right, here's just a new thought, a new section, no connecting piece. It's not thinking back. Uh, it's thought that maybe the, the NIV did that because it's difficult to see how it relates to the preceding verses. And the NIV sometimes focuses more on readability and your ability to understand the text. And so sometimes in these passages, they're difficult to figure out they might just remove a conjunction so that you're not sitting there going, I don't understand. But uh, the conjunction's there. So how are we to understand it? Well, like I said, we cannot be precise, but one way to understand it, or we can't be certain, that is, one way we could understand it, though, how it might relate this section as he writes to elders and he'll go on to speak about the younger folks and humility and the other suffering saints abroad, one way to understand how it might relate is in light of the persecution that the sheep or members of the churches were experiencing, because that, that was the immediate context, that is a, a major theme of the letter, as I said, which Peter has been addressing, and understanding the additional strain that would put on the church community, this is a suffering church community, suffering for following Christ, Peter may now have thought it important to say something to the leaders of those herding sheep, of those troubled churches, concerning their leadership of their suffering flocks. Now, his instructions here to the elders, they're of course appropriate under any circumstances. Okay, so suffering or not, these words still apply. But as one commentator put it, these exhortations take on particular urgency in a situation where the church faces persecution. I think that's right. I would go with that anyway, as the connecting piece of why the so and the conjunction so, therefore, in light of your suffering, I have a word to say to you elders. I want to make sure that you are shepherding these people correctly, carefully, in a godly manner, because they're going to need you now more than they've ever needed you in this situation that they find themselves in. One writer says, when churches experience persecution and suffering, it falls primarily on the church leaders to provide help, comfort, strength, and guidance. So, the spiritual well-being of the house of God depends significantly on the elders. I would agree with that statement. And this is why it's so important to have qualified men, godly men, good men, leading the church of God, okay? Now, looking back at the text, so, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. So there's three things in this section here that Peter provides as a basis of sorts for his exhortations. In other words, I'm going to exhort you, 
but I'm going to do it based on the following things. I want to remind you of these things or tell you these things. I'm going to exhort you as a fellow elder, as one who is a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also as one who is also a partaker with you in the glory that is going to be revealed. So let's look at each of them quickly. Again, we're not yet to the exhortations. We're going to get there in a moment. So in addressing, as I said, these elders in the local churches, various churches in Asia Minor, Peter first refers to himself as a fellow elder. Why? Why? Well, probably to communicate that he has empathy for the task, for the task, that he understands what it is to be an elder and that he speaks to them from personal experience, not based on theory. This, no doubt, would cause his exhortations that follow to carry more weight uh, with the local church elders. One writer puts it this way, as a fellow elder, Peter fully sympathizes with the problems and dangers the Asian elders face, Asian speaking geographically where they're located. He is not an armchair pastor, you know, like an armchair quarterback. He's not an armchair pastor or a heady author dispensing theoretical advice. He is a well-seasoned veteran shepherd elder. Like his fellow elders, he serves daily on the front lines of battle. And beloved, it is a battle. I mean, think about this just for a moment if... If you want to take down an army, who do you go after first? The leaders. It's a very common practice. You think it's any different among Satan? He seeks first to destroy the leadership, to take them down. This is why we covet your prayers, your encouragement, your words, your counsel, your help. The writer goes on to say, he knows how difficult the work is and is well acquainted, that is Peter, with the many pitfalls, abuses, and temptations of leadership. He too feels the daily pressures and strains of pastoral responsibility. His instruction wells up from a deep spring of life experiences gained by shepherding God's people now for more than 30 years at this point when he's written this letter your fellow elder. You know, I've, uh, I've never owned my own business, but I've always thought it would be good for everyone to own their own business. Uh, I have a, a friend in here who's a business, oh, several, and we've had this discussion that until you've uh, gone through all that that means, it's hard to really fully understand the load, the stress, the headaches, the temptations, the trials that a business owner faces. And so uh, many times employees come in, they don't really get it, and they can be too harsh, too critical of their employer. Sometimes the employer is bad, I get it, but m much of the time they just don't really relate. They, don't, they can't relate to them, they've never done it. And so it's one of those areas where I think it would be good if everyone at, at one point was a business owner. Just, you know, as it would help them be a better employee, honestly. Right, business owners? Do you know what I'm talking about? I, now, this is not possible, but I've said the same thing to myself, maybe to someone else. I wish everyone could be a pastor of a church. 
just for a little bit. All of that stuff is all part of it. And so there's just a lack sometimes of empathy, of understanding. You know, people just don't get it. I've had, you know, people say to me, you know, you know, are you, you know, can you do something Saturday? Isn't that when you put your sermon together? No, I don't throw my sermon together, you know, in a couple hours on Saturday night. Uh, are you sleeping? I've had people call me and say, are you, you know, at 10 a.m. in the morning, and I'm at work, I work at an office. Are you sleeping? No, I'm, I know that when I answered the phone, maybe my voice doesn't, I don't know what it is. We just assume I'm sleeping, that's what I do. I just sleep all day, and, and then Saturday I get busy and throw something together. And there's just a, a lack of, of no, of knowledge concerning these things. It's the same thing with raising kids. You know, you have someone coming to you and they've never raised kids. It, you, you, so I say all that to say this. When someone, when business owners speak to business owners, there's just more of a camaraderie and there's also an understanding, a general understanding, and there's a quick level of respect. Same thing pastor to pastors, elders to elders, one who's raised kids to one who's raised kids. You know, you get it. You understand the glories and the struggles of such a task or responsibility. In fact, we have this conference that we sometimes go to or at least listen to the uh, events afterwards. It's called the Shepherds Conference uh, that's put on every year. And it's basically, it's all kinds of leadership, but there's a lot of pastors there. And what, one of the things I love about it is the folks that get up on stage are generally speaking pastors, elders, speaking to other pastors and elders. So they get it, and you can tell they get it. And their ability to communicate to you is just at another level. So anyway... I'm a fellow elder is what Peter's saying. I'm a fellow elder, which again would be, uh, would be sweet to, for them to hear and would certainly get their attention. And, and someone might ask, how was Peter an elder? Was he an elder over a local church? No, he was not. You could say that in the early church, in the Jerusalem church, when the church was first born, he was a leader in that church as an apostle. He served in a sense as an elder. He served as an elder in that church. Um, he was given a command directly by Christ in John 21, Peter, shepherd my sheep, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. Um, another writer says this, he, Peter was an apostle. He says the apostolic office included the work of the elders. So what the elders were for the individual congregation, so were the apostles for the whole church. And such was Peter. So... He speaks to them as one who is and understands what it is to be an elder, a leader of God's people. 1 Peter 5, 1, back to the text. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. All right, that's the second one. And as a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Notice here, he does not say a fellow witness. Like he said, fellow elder. This is something personal to him. In chapter 4, verse 13, he, he talks about the fact that they share in Christ's sufferings. And remember, I explained to you that that means that as they live for Christ and follow Christ, they're suffering because people's hatred against Christ comes against them because they are modeling him and walking as he would walk. 
And so in that sense, they share in the sufferings of Christ. If Christ was here, they'd pour out their hate on him, but he's not here, so they pour out their hate on those who faithfully follow him. So the church is sharing in Christ's suffering, certainly, but Peter was a personal witness to them. Now, while there is some, why say that? Well, while there is some difference of opinion among Bible scholars to exactly why he makes that statement or what it's referring to, one way it has commonly been understood is it is a reference to his apostleship. It is a reference to his apostleship. If you look at Acts 1, 8 and 21 through 22, where Jesus says, you will be my witnesses. In other words, you, you have witnessed these things, and now you will testify, witness to these things. So you saw them, you saw my life, you saw my death, you saw my resurrection, and now you will testify to these very things as my chosen messengers, authorized representatives to his apostles, he said that. In, in addition, when um, Judas had to be replaced, you see that in Acts 21 through 22, that was part of the requirement. We need to find someone who had witnessed these things so that he, along with us, can go and declare the things that we have seen to others that they may know and then declare them as well. But we witnessed them. So, uh, and you see that through Acts, if you look at Acts 3.15, 5.30 through 32, 10.39, Peter continually to declare, we saw this, we saw him, we saw him die, we saw him be killed, we saw him suffer, we saw him rise again. We saw, and now we declare to you what we saw. So, one writer says it's, and I think it's right, it's a delicate reminder of the actual difference between himself and the elders addressed, okay? And it's a reminder to them that he is indeed an apostle. He starts the letter that way. He introduces himself as an apostle. But now here, think, he comes to the leaders of the local church. He says, listen, listen, I have a word for you. I urge you. I appeal to you. I exhort you. As a fellow elder, I get it. And as one who has witnessed the sufferings of Christ, don't forget that. In other words, I am an apostle. So I come to you with all the authority that that office contains through Jesus Christ. Yes, you have authority in your local churches, but I come to you as one who has witnessed this Christ suffer. I was there. I was with him, and he called me as an apostle to proclaim these things, and to give instruction to the churches. So, I think that's what it means. I believe that to be the case, so just moving on. So, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness to the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Okay? So, I too will share in the glories of Christ's return. It is our shared hope, elders. And that glory, when you think about that, it looks at the return of Christ. It looks at all that that means when he will come in all of his glory and he will judge the ungodly and he will reward his own and establish his kingdom. Glories and reward for the people of God who have faithfully served him. Okay? And really this sets up this sets up verse 4 where he's going to say he's going to say to the elders remember the reward 
remember the eternal reward that's coming. So I, I, I would paraphrase this section like this. Look, Peter's saying, I understand well what it is to be an elder. And I have apostolic authority to exhort you as elders. Don't forget, as elders of the churches. And I too anticipate and look forward to the day of the Lord's return and the rewards he will give to his servants for their faithfulness to him. So listen closely to me. You have every good reason. What I'm saying to you is important in all of that. Understanding it's coming from that place as a fellow elder, as an apostle, and as one who's looking forward to the reward. So listen, this is how you are to elder or lead to receive these things and to, and to be rewarded and to, and, to, and to elder properly and correctly. So that's, that's that. Now, the exhortations, okay? You still with me, guys? Elders, you still with me? All right. Verse 2, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, again, under your care, exercising oversight. The, uh, another translation puts it this way, serving as overseers. And again, we talked about this last time. The ideas are interchangeable. An elder is an overseer. An overseer is an elder. As God's shepherds, one writer says, as God's shepherds and leaders, they are to oversee the church and superintend it. The idea of superintending something, because that's the idea behind the word, is to have or exercise the charge and oversight of. They're to oversee it. They're to exercise authority over that local body, keep their eye on it, and keep directing it and guiding it. Now, just a couple of things I want to point out here in, as, as we begin looking at these uh, exhortations. Shepherd the flock of God. Now, that's on purpose. There's no way that's not on purpose. Not just set, shepherd the church Shepherd, the, shepherd not, not just shepherd that local body that you happen to uh, be over and caring for. Shepherd the flock of God. It reminds the elders that the congregation does not belong to them. It is and always will be God's church, God's people. And the elders are strictly given the privilege then and responsibility of shepherding his flock. Very important for us men, for us men, never to forget that. These are not our people. And they're not even Bob's people. They're God's people. God's flock. And then I... When I've taken the men through uh, elder training, this is a verse I've, I've shown them. It's, it's in the part of the training material. And it is a verse I look back to repeatedly to be reminded so that my attitude and my approach uh, would, would be right when I get out of kilter, out of balance. Yeah, your pastor gets out of balance, yeah. One of your pastors. Um, Acts 20, 28 reads this way. Apostle Paul exhorts the elders there. 
church of Ephesus, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, okay? Church of God, which he bought with his own blood. That phrase right there. Uh, It's certainly not the same I mean, what could be is I try to illustrate something compared to God purchasing his people with the blood of Jesus Christ, his own beloved son. There's nothing to compare that to. But if I was given the task of overseeing someone's car and it was a beater, you know, just a piece of junk, it cost him nothing. You know, what's my, how do I approach it? It's like, yeah, he doesn't. He doesn't really care that much. It cost him nothing. He just wants me to make sure no one steals it, I guess, or whatever, or start the engine up every week so the battery doesn't die. But if I was tasked with the responsibility of watching someone's Ferrari, there's just a different approach. I know what this cost him. I know how valuable, I know what he gave up to secure this. I better be really careful. This is a big deal. And like I said, a Ferrari, come on. It's the best I could do. It doesn't even compare. God sent his son, and his son willingly, in obedience to his father, gave up his life. Suffered on the cross, absorbing the wrath of God for his people. That's the price that was paid for these folks. You better be careful. You better be careful. You better elevate them in your mind. You better not treat them lightly. Elders. One writer says, elders must never forget that the flock is not their own. And they should never be indifferent toward a single one of his sheep. He, God, is not indifferent to what becomes of his flock. So we just can't take an attitude like, who cares? Whatever. Okay? And this is why shepherds, they need to be vetted. They need to go through a process. They need to be qualified. And then you have to continue to make sure they stay qualified. I've seen leaders in churches that I don't know how they got there. I think they were just friends with the pastor of that church at that time, and he just, you know, elects them in, or there's not, it's not really thought out real well. And so you may have seen really bad examples, uh, but you can see the heaviness of this office, or how it should be considered anyways, and how serious it is. It's serious. It's not light. And it should not be treated lightly, not by those who hold it, and not by those who are affirming those who take that office. Now, the verb shepherd, as I mentioned last time, because he says shepherd the flock of God, and we covered this last time when we looked at elders, it just means to tend as a shepherd. That's literally what it means, to tend as a shepherd. So in other words, the elders of the church are to look after the flock of God as a shepherd would his sheep, which would include, as I said before, feeding them, not grass, but in this case, their souls, the word, okay? 
So we are not responsible necessarily for feeding you lunch after the service every Sunday. Although that would be fine if we did that and we had the facility to do that, no problem. But that's not our, that's not our primary responsibility is to feed you the word of God that you might grow, that your soul might be satisfied, that you might become all that you are to become in Christ. Because that's what God desires. It's guiding, it's caring, it's guarding. It's all of those things that a shepherd would do of his flock in ancient times and maybe even today that we are not as familiar with because, like I said before, we are city folk. And if you don't know, as one writer points out, sheep do not just take care of themselves, as some might suppose. In fact, they require more than any class of livestock, endless attention and meticulous care. (laughs) They do. They do. So, and the Bible refers to us as sheep and to those who care for them as their shepherds, elders, overseers, pastors. And so, the second you think of shepherd shepherd imagery, as I said last week, the other things that should come to mind is self-sacrifice, a tenderness, hard work, loving care, and constant watchfulness. Constant watchfulness. So, I mean, it's one of the reasons that we... There's a purpose behind some of the things, well, not some, there is a purpose behind, I hope, behind all the things that we do here at Summit, but for instance, even the filling out of the connection card for you regular attenders. We ask, and some comply, and it's not, you know, you don't have to do it, but it just helps us. We ask that as you come, you just mark that you were here. We also, in case you don't know this, have three to four people doing a visual check because you don't all do that. And so we write it off. And then if you miss a few weeks, and that's not your normal pattern, then we try to make contact to see, are you okay? So again, it's not like, hey, where were you? You weren't here, so you're in trouble. It's not like that. But we've been tasked with a responsibility to watch you, to care for you. And I don't know, are you sick and you're not telling us? Are you, because that happens, because we're not mind readers, we have no crystal ball, or... Are you in a bad place and you just don't know what to do? There could be lots of reasons. Or you're just on vacation. Okay, all right. We just, you know. So I, you know, sometimes people will even tell us. Like they'll just say, hey, I'm going to be off for the next couple of weeks. Fantastic. Then we know. So it saves us a phone call, you know. But it is, it's stuff like that. Why do we do that? Because we're watching you. Yeah, we're watching you, but not like that. <laughs> not like Facebook does. That's scary. I'm going to tell you right now. I'm going to tell you right now. I did a search. I did a search on my iPad for Klipsch speakers. They're for your home. Klipsch speakers. I did it. This just happened this morning. As I'm doing the search, Allie's on her phone on Facebook. What pops up? An ad for Klipsch speakers. They're watching you. But for not the same reasons that we're watching you, okay? They want to make merchandise of you, you know what I mean? Or sell you merchandise, I should say. Okay, uh, all right, so now be shepherds of God's flock, exercising oversight, is followed by three contrasting statements, and they're simple, so uh, we'll get through them, and they tell the elders how this responsibility of shepherding the flock of God is to be carried out and how it should not be carried out, my brothers. You there, Tim? All right, good. He makes no eye contact. Thank you, Wes. Thank you for that. 
Uh, I can never get any eye contact over here. All right. So are you reading a commentary to make sure I'm saying the right things right now? Just checking? Okay. Um, so here it is. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, back to the text, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. There they are, the three statements, contrasting statements. Here's how you are to uh, act. Here's how you're not to act. And they deal both with the manner in which they are to shepherd the flock of God and also addresses the motive, the motive of their hearts. Gets at that as well. So you'll see that as we go. The first one, not under compulsion, not under compulsion, but willingly. The NIV puts it this way, not because you must, but because you are willing. So one commentator says, listen, those who serve in this capacity only because they feel they must, I would argue in any capacity, but certainly in this one with all of its stresses and, and situations, if they serve because they feel they must, they'll lose their joy and the church will suffer as a consequence. The uh, Strock book, Biblical Eldership, that I had referred to you and that we use in our training material Again, drawing on him and his, his uh, book, he says, God doesn't want reluctant, unwilling shepherds to care for his people. Elders are not to serve as drafted soldiers, but like volunteers. You know the difference, right? I didn't want to do this. I got caught up in this. I didn't want to do it. I don't want to do it. What kind of shepherd is that going to be? What kind of leader is that going to be? How much is he going to care for your soul? God wants a willing shepherd, one who is there because he chooses to be there based upon God's calling upon his life and responding to that freely, willingly. God wants, as one, another person says it, he wants ungrudging service, elders, Someone points out, if a man serves an elder because his wife or friends pressure him to serve, you should be an elder. And there could be all kinds of reasons for that. Or because he is trapped by circumstances, he has no other choice maybe, you know, I drew a straw, I got the short straw. Or because no one else will do the work, I mean, no one else is stepping up, I guess I got to do it. He is serving under compulsion not willingly. And that is not how God would have his leaders of his flock serve. And that's what it says, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, as God wants you to be. It is the way that, that God expects things to be done, one writer says. God, listen, God, God is not a reluctant, unwilling shepherd. I guess I got to take care of these people. <sighs> Rather, God, Christ, he cares for his sheep gladly, willingly, freely, and graciously. Okay? So you don't enter into the office under compulsion, but I would say even within the office, you need to keep your attitude in check. You know, 
Uh, I guess I just, no, this is, you're choosing to do, you should be choosing to do this willfully, understanding all that, and it's a privilege. That doesn't mean it's not hard. <laughs> that doesn't, doesn't mean it's not hard, or that at times you can be like, I'm not sure I want to do this anymore. Okay? You can have those thoughts, but you shouldn't be there because you were forced into it. But you should be there because you desire with your heart to do that very thing. It'll be hard. It'll be tough. You'll be challenged. At times, you might want to quit. Do it as God would have you, gladly, willingly, freely, and graciously. Second, he says, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Oh, my goodness. I could spend so long on this but I won't. One, the NIV says it this way, not greedy for money, but eager to serve. And they add the word serve because it's not there, but the idea is there. Eager to serve God by serving his flock. That should be, so not this, not greedy for money or for shameful gain, but rather eager to serve. So the word translated eagerly, as, uh, as is pointed out, is places an emphasis, more emphasis on a positive emotional desire to do the work. The idea is cheerful readiness. That's the word, eagerly, cheerful readiness. Whereas willingly, in the previous phrase, simply focuses on the element of unconstrained or free choice, the decision of the will that one will do the work. So one is kind of, it should be voluntary. It shouldn't be, you have your arm twisted. That's not going to be a good leader of God's people. You know, you've been drafted. Guess what? You've been drafted. No, we're looking for those who are volunteering. They're coming willfully to take on this office and all that that includes. And, and they should approach it with an, with an eagerness, with a, a cheerful readiness to, to serve God's people, not for shameful gain. As Peter has no doubt seen among others, um, one writer says, in the same way that God loves a cheerful giver, we talk about that, we, we quote that verse, Wes has quoted it as when we take that time to worship God in our giving, as the same way God loves a cheerful giver, he loves cheerful, willing elders. Cheerful, willing elders. But not for shameful gain. So what does that mean? Well, it doesn't say not for gain. It's not, it's not preventing or prohibiting that elders be uh, compensated. In fact, the scriptures speak to that very matter. First Timothy 5 and 17 through 18 talk about compensation for elders and even additional compensation for those who work hard in teaching and preaching the word. They're giving their time, more time to that, so they need to be, in that case, compensated. So it's not like, no, they cannot be compensated. There's something else. This is shameful gain. And within our local, our local body right here, just so you know, I'm the only elder that's compensated financially. The other elders, we would call them non-staff elders, they have other jobs that, they, that provide for their homes. Okay? But because I spend so much time in the teaching and preaching and kind of guiding of the ministry along with them and have more responsibilities, the church frees me up to do that by providing compensation. And so it was in the early church. But an elder's primary motivation should not be, what will they pay me? 
or how much can I make? It shouldn't be, as one person says, doing the work simply out of a desire for material gain. That would be a self-serving motive. Does an elder, do I need to be compensated in order to have the, yeah, there has to be some compensation so that I don't have to go work a job. That way I'm freed up to do the things that I need to do as the teaching pastor of the church. Uh, One commentator said, greed and selfish interest are so near at hand in all human hearts that especially in this work, they must be constantly guarded against. So, eagerness to serve should basically precede any consideration of personal profit. And beloved, think of this. In the New Testament, false teachers are often um, indicted because of their love of money. Their love of money. False teachers, false pastors, false shepherds. In fact, one of the qualifications of a leader, an elder, a pastor of a church is that they are not a lover of money. A lover of money. That doesn't mean they can't have money. (laughs) I've seen that too. Oh, you know, treat the pastor poorly. Don't give him anything. That's good for him. No, what are you talking about? That's not what the scriptures say, actually. They say he's worthy of double honor, that teaching pastor. So that's not the case. But he's also not to be a lover of money. And if you think about the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul determined he had the right to receive support, financial support from the local churches. He said that, but he chose not to exercise that right. He was a tent maker. He provided for himself and his ministry team through his work so that he wouldn't be a burden to the churches, but more importantly as a counter to all those false teachers who came in and they were greedy and looking to take advantage of the local churches and be supported by them and get whatever they could out of them. They were in it for what they could get out of it, period. So as as an example, he said, listen, I'm just going to choose not even to receive compensation in that sense, in that way. Beyond that, his apostleship was always being challenged, so he's, this was just another way to say, I'm above board. I'm not in it like these other guys are for, for greed or for what they can get. So, we've looked at two of them. Let's look at the third. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Again, you see the words in your charge. So elders had a, they're in your charge. They're under your care, under your direction, under your oversight. Clearly, the elders have authority to govern, but that authority was not to be abused. It's supposed to be used to help, not hurt the flock of God, the people of God. Used to build up, not tear down, not destroy. Domineering over, though, that word right there. The NIV translates it as lording it over, lording it over. The underlying Greek word has the idea of forcefully gaining mastery over someone. Forcefully gaining mastery over someone. It basically describes an authoritarian attitude. Okay? So, it is treating the sheep, who, by the way, are brothers and sisters in Christ, like subjects to be ruled. And they are not that, my fellow elders. They are not that, right? They're not that. 
By the way, I'm not directing this to them because they have problems, okay? I just want you to know that. I'm not like, this is your time for correction right here. I'm just speaking to them, one elder to another. These are things that we have to remember and call to remind, or call to memory again and again and keep all of us, we keep each other in check. At least that's how it's supposed to be. And the church as well. The flock, keeping the elders in check. So, one writer says, there's no place for dominating lordly leaders in a family that is to be marked by mutual love, brotherhood, and humility. There's no place for that. And yet, sadly, maybe you came from a church where that happened. Because it does, unfortunately. Another writer says, the elders are not to shepherd like little popes. I am not the pope or petty tyrants. And by the way, as I've said, almost done. The protection of the, uh, there's a protection and a plurality of elders. If one guy's up here running the show, that's dangerous. But in a plurality of elders, shared leadership, the idea is that they keep each other in check, that one would say to another, I think you're out of line, brother. Okay? Power corrupts. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. So there is not... There is shared authority among the elders. We share it together. Finally, being examples to the flock. So don't do that. Don't, don't, don't seek to master them. Treat them as subjects to be ruled. Rather, this is how you are to lead them. Be examples to them. You lead God's precious sheep not by cracking a whip over their back, but rather by living a godly lifestyle in front of their eyes, by modeling Christ. Which, by the way, includes repentance. So we, you know, you think the elders are not perfect men, so it includes us showing you what it looks like that when we are convicted of our sins, that we repent. That we seek forgiveness when we've done someone wrong. The elders are still being sanctified as well. The exception would be if an elder, if one of these guys cheated on their wives, that would disqualify them. So they should still seek forgiveness. They should still seek to be reconciled. All of that stuff, they should still do that, but they are no longer, that would disqualify them based on the qualifications. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about just living life. We're not perfect men. We too are being sanctified, yeah? So we're to model what that looks like and then to pursue righteousness with a vengeance. Not only for our own sakes, but for the sake of those who we are leading. We are to lead by example. So we don't drive the flock from behind, we lead from the front. We call them, as I live for Christ, live. Okay? So, you know, elders are not to enter the ministry, one writer says, so they can boss others around, but so they can exemplify the character of Christ to those under their charge. It's a high calling. It's a serious calling. It just made me think of police officers, in a sense, in that sense. Police officers are one of the mottos of the LAPD, and many police departments share the motto is protect and serve. Protect and serve. However, not all who become police officers follow that motto. Right? And they abuse their authority. And they're not protecting and serving anyone but themselves. So that is true. We see that. 
But that is not true of all of them. The exception, I would say, to the rule. Same with elders. There are elders who, they're not looking to protect and serve their flock, but rather they abuse it. Those men should step down. They should be put down. I mean, uh, yeah, not like that. Gently. (laughs) Taken out, flocked, tarred. No, not like that. Grace, grace. All right, and then finally, uh, oh, let me, let me give you this translation. I like this. It's a New Living Translation. kind of takes that, all those exhortations. It says it, puts it this way. Watch over it to the flock. Watch over it, will, I mean, to the elders. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly, not for what you will get out of it, but because you're eager to serve God. Don't lord it over the people assigned to your care, but lead them by your good example. That's nice, nice summary. It's an it's a interpretation of the text, but it's a decent one. All right, and finally, the reward. And I'll just close with this. Then he says, and, in 1 Peter 5, 4, he says, this is, how, this is how you are to shepherd the flock. This is proper care for this flock, especially in light of the fact that they're hurting. This is so important. Suffering persecution. And, if you, and, and it's implied, if you do these things, elders, when the chief shepherd appears, the boss, the one and only boss, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So chief shepherd, I think Thomas mentioned this last week, as the chief shepherd Christ, Christ is in charge of the entire flock and all the elders then are, sometimes we refer to them this way because it's appropriate, they're under shepherds. It's a good way for us to refer to ourselves, we are under shepherds. We are shepherding under the authority of the one who has the authority and our work will be evaluated and rewarded by the chief shepherd when he returns. We will give an account Don't enter into it lightly. The crown, that's just being used to represent a reward or a special honor as it would have been used in that culture. For Peter's readers, the crown crown or the crowning would happen at the uh, conclusion of an athletic contest as an example. So that would come in mind. You've, you've, You've done well and you've competed and now you come to the end, you're given a crown. But the crowns they were given were made of plants and such, and they would, over time, fade away, die, dissolve. Peter refers to this crown, though, as unfading. It's beautiful, the unfading crown of glory. You know those crowns you may have gotten or you see people get for their hard work? Those crowns will go away. This one will not. This one will not. The crown God will give you will never fade. For your faithful, God-honoring service to God's flock will be rewarded. And I think it's worth noting that Peter promises no earthly reward. But rather directs the elders to look beyond this present world. Just as he does Christians, other Christians as well. He doesn't say, hey guys, just keep doing what you're doing. And man, look for the kudos you're going to get and the pats on the back. And I mean, because sometimes that's just not the reality. Sometimes as shepherds, you you may feel very unappreciated. You may not be, but you may feel that way, and you may be. Because people just don't understand what the task is or what's required of folks who enter into it. But don't be looking for your earthly reward. Anyway, what earthly reward are you going to get? It's going to go away anyway. Look for the reward of your shepherd, the chief shepherd who's coming. Keep your eyes fixed on him. 
And in light of that, do this. Shepherd the people of God rightly, as he laid out there. One writer says, what a time of joy Christ's appearance will, Christ's appearance will bring to lowly, unnoticed elders who have faithfully shepherded God's flock, hardworking, selfless shepherds, many not have many uh, many not have many earthly goods to show for a lifetime of toil, but someday, someday, man, the chief shepherd will come and fully reward his under-shepherds. He will bestow on them heavenly honor and glory. All elders are keep their eyes steadfastly fixed on his appearing, for reward day is coming. You see? It's the same for the believer as well. We're looking for that eternal hope and promise for Jesus to say, well done, good and faithful servant. So my final word is this. I just thought for the congregation, for the elders, listen. Let's not give up on one another. The people, the flock, want the elders to rightfully so be patient with them in their shepherding of them, to be gracious with them. Yeah? Right? To not beat them up, but to come alongside and encourage them and and exhort them, and rebuke them, but always in love, always with, with God's purposes in mind, always for God's glory. That's what they want, rightfully so. But the elders need grace too. So sometimes, you know, it's just like, I don't see, it doesn't go both ways always necessarily. Give me, be patient with me, give me grace, but then if the elders miss a mark or they're not, you know, they're not doing it just like they think the, the church or someone in the body thinks they should be doing it, then they're all over them or they're leaving. Don't leave. I'm not talking about failed leadership. So if I'm having a relationship with another woman in the church and then I'm still getting up here, leave. Well, first, put me down. Then leave, I guess. I don't know, but you would go to the elders of the church going, what's going on? You'd have a right to say, that's not okay. But just listen, I might, on any given day, say something that was not kind. I don't know. Or maybe I, I, there could, I will fail you. Not intentionally, but I will fail you. I'm just a man. These men will, on some level, they will fail you. They will hurt you. They will upset you. They'll have to seek forgiveness. They'll have to... Be, they'll have to repent and all of these things. But if your expectation is you can't fail a mark, you got to be perfect, then you're going to be jumping from church to church. That's what I see people do. Let's not give up on one another. By His grace, let's love one another and continue to encourage, exhort, rebuke, in love one another and hold each other accountable to these things. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word, and I thank you for your people. They are your people. And Father, help us as elders to care for them properly. Man, do we need your grace, your wisdom, your strength, your power. And Father, may the people of God feel compelled to pray even more for those you have placed in leadership over them. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.